This morning I'll be reading from Daniel chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. And I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. And I was considering, behold, a male goat came from across the west, the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. The ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it, together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near to where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. And he touched me and made me stand up. And he said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Psalm 23 begins in this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley the shadow of death. I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, 
they comfort me. These words from Psalm 23 are some of the most well-known words of the Bible. They are read at funerals. They are etched into stone epitaphs. These words have given us an image of a dark valley, an image that is now a universal symbol for uncertainty, for confusion, for sorrow, and for suffering. Why? Why are these words so familiar to us? Why has the image of a dark valley become a universal symbol for those both inside and outside of the church? Because I think deep down, every one of us knows what it's like to be in a dark valley. Every one of us, as we go through life, will enter into the valley at some point. Maybe some of you have been there in the past. Maybe some of you are there right now. And when we find ourselves in the middle of our darkest valley, we wonder, where is God? And why is he letting this happen? This summer, my oldest daughter and I were in Colorado with our whole family, and the two of us went on a tour in a cave. You ever been on one of those? And we went deep into the ground on this cave tour, and at one point, at its deepest point, they had us turn off all the lights. I can't explain darkness to you like that. When there's not even a shred of light. And they explain to us that when you're in that kind of darkness, your mind begins to play tricks on you. It begins to invent things that you see that are not really there. What happens to people deep and dark in a cave and that kind of darkness is they become disoriented, they become afraid, and they begin to panic. And see, I believe that's where so many of us are today. Darkness is all around us and we're panicking. Our minds are playing tricks on us. And when the darkness of sin and the darkness of sorrow and the evils of this world surround us on every side, we begin to ask questions. And we say, God, how long are we gonna be in the valley? Are you gonna leave us in the dark forever? How is this all going to end? And what I want you to know is this is why God has given us the book of Daniel. And why the end, the last six chapters, the scary part, the hard part, the confusing part of Daniel, it's why this part of Daniel is such a gift to us. You see, because God gave Daniel a strange and prophetic vision of the future, not so that we could become fortune tellers and amaze our friends. No, God gave Daniel a prophetic vision of the future to give us hope for today. And so what I want you to see this morning is not just a vision of a ram or a goat or a little horn. I want you to leave with a vision of a shepherd, a good shepherd who even in our darkest valley never lets us go. The first thing I want you to see, I want you to see that what man intends for evil God intends for good. I want you to look with me at Daniel 8, verse 1. This is the vision that God gave Daniel. We're told it's the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, and a vision appeared 
to Daniel. Now, why that's important is that this is about two years after the vision of chapter seven that we looked at last week, and around 11 years before the fall of the Babylonian Empire. And if you've been with us in the book of Daniel, you'll remember that back in Daniel chapter five, the king was Belshazzar, the same king who's mentioned here, except it's 11 years later. And Belshazzar, while his father was away, throws a huge party, and he takes the vessels of the temple and he desecrates them. And while he is drunk, God sends writing on a wall, his judgment. And then the Babylonian kingdom falls. Now why that's important is because what we are reading here is a flashback. It's a flashback of a flash forward. In other words, Daniel's looking back on a vision that God gave him of the future. A vision that gives us hope for today. And this vision that he's giving Daniel is a vision of a ram. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. In this vision, Daniel sees a river, a canal. And there on the banks of the river, verse 3, he sees a ram. I want you to imagine this ram with Daniel. See it in your mind. Here's a ram, and the ram has two horns. What on earth does this vision mean? Well, again, last week we looked at chapter 7, and we looked at four beasts. Four beasts that represent four different kingdoms. The kingdoms of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Four kingdoms that are part of a repeating pattern of the evils of the kingdom of man leading up to the kingdom of the Antichrist. Have your attention now. These kingdoms are a repetition as kingdoms rise and fall, human beings overthrowing human beings all the while we see that God is the one who's in control. And now in Daniel chapter 8, the vision focuses on two of those kingdoms, the second and the third, Persia and Greece. Now, if you're confused at this point or wondering how can we know all of that, what's different about Daniel chapter 8 is two things. One, Daniel tells us he doesn't understand the vision. And so as you are intimidated by the book of Daniel, you're in good company. Daniel doesn't get it either. But the second thing I want you to know is because Daniel doesn't understand the vision, God sends him an angel, the angel Gabriel, to interpret the vision. And it's Gabriel who helps us understand what the vision means. So who or what is this ram? Well, Gabriel tells us later in verse 20 that the ram is Persia. It's actually the twin kingdoms who've come together of Media and Persia, the Medo-Persian Empire. This ram has two horns, one of them larger than the other, and the largest one comes out to the last. That represents the kingdom of Persia, the stronger kingdom of the alliance that eventually took over. We know that Persia conquered Babylon. What you need to see is that human history is a long line of empires that have conquered one another. And in this long line, we can look back on human history and see all the while God was at work. What man intends for evil, God intends for good. The king of the Persian Empire was Cyrus the Great. He's actually known for human rights, which is kind of ironic. 
He's known for human rights because he wasn't as bad as all the other emperors. He still conquered people's left and right at will. He just gave them more freedom than other emperors before him. And so while we can say that God did a lot of good things through Cyrus, we know this much that Cyrus conquered kingdoms for his own glory. And yet God used Cyrus for his. When Persia conquered Babylon, the exile of God's people ended. What God uses, he uses for his good, even when it's the evil of human beings. The Persians, under Cyrus's reign, allowed God's people to go back to Jerusalem. In fact, Cyrus paid for the temple to be rebuilt. And the vessels that Belshazzar stole, he gave back to God's people so they could worship once again in the temple. What man intends for evil, God intends for good. And what I want you to see this morning is God has always worked that way. That is the story of redemption. So whatever evils that you face now, whatever evils you have done, whatever evils have been done to you, God is at work redeeming his people, using the evils of humanity for his good and sovereign purposes. It's always been this way. Go back to the story of Joseph. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery and God raised him up to become the governor of Egypt. What man intends for evil, God intends for good. We've seen this in the book of Daniel. Daniel and his friends thrown into exile at a young age. And yet God raised them up to give them influence and favor in the eyes of king after king after king. What man intends for evil, God intends for good. And then, years later, Jesus Christ was arrested. And though he committed no sin, he was beaten, he was tried, and he was sentenced to death. He was crucified on a cross so that all who believe in him would be saved. What man intends for evil, God intends for good. So brothers and sisters, friends, take heart. Whatever evil surrounds us, God is at work. He is the king. He is reigning on the throne and he is orchestrating and intending all things for his good purpose. The second thing I want you to know, I want you to know that the kingdom of man is desperately weak. I want you to look with me at verse five. Daniel then tells us as he's considering, behold, a male goat came from the west. So first he sees a ram, now he sees a goat. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. Gabriel tells us in verse 21 that the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. So the ram is Persia, the goat is Greece, and the horn is the first king of the Greeks. His name was Alexander the Great. We know from history that Alexander the Great waged war against Persia. We see this in verse six. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I'd seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in a powerful wrath. 
And I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, struck the ram, and broke his horn. So I want you to imagine the vision. Daniel sees a ram, and now he sees a goat coming from the west, and the goat has attacked the ram. And now the goat and the ram are fighting, and the ram cannot withstand the goat. The goat is too strong and too powerful. It's Greece, and it's Alexander the Great. We know that the Greek empire under Alexander over his 13-year reign expanded. In just 13 years, Alexander the Great's empire covered 1.5 million square miles. He's one of the greatest warlords that the human history has ever known. He conquered right and left, and his kingdom expanded. He is known for his power and for his pride. He made his own soldiers bow down to him in worship so much that at one point there was a revolt. And in his pride of all places, Alexander the Great found himself in Babylon. And there in Nebuchadnezzar's palace, ironically, he was plotting his next conquest. He was not yet 33 years old. And there, one of the greatest emperors history has ever known, the greatest warlords there in Nebuchadnezzar's palace, he drank himself into a stupor, he developed a fever, and he died. You see, because the kingdom of man is desperately weak. Throughout human history, we've clamored at power. We've thought that if we can just conquer whatever we can, then that is where we will find our own refuge. In an attempt to save ourselves, we try to get power. And though you and I are not emperors, and though we're not conquering other empires, are we not going through life thinking if we can just conquer the next thing, that we can save ourselves, that we could be our own refuge and strength? The kingdom of man is desperately weak. And that is both a warning and a promise. For those of us who think that it is our own strength that can save us, it's a warning. But for those who feel oppressed, for those who feel struck down, know this, God is in charge. And the greatest kingdom on this earth cannot compare to the greatness of the kingdom of God. So the third and final thing I want you to know. I want you to know that even in our darkest valley, there is a good shepherd, and he will never let us go. Look with me at verse 9. So we're told then, out of this goat, a goat who in its greatest moment fell, his kingdom was divided into four, and out of one of them, we're told in verse 9, came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, east, and towards the glorious land. So if the ram is Persia and the goat is Greece, who is the little horn? Now there are many who think the little horn is the Antichrist to come. Who's the Antichrist? Well, the Antichrist is the one who will come in the end. A ruler who will establish a kingdom that directly opposes the kingdom of God. Who will make himself in the place of Christ and will wage war against God's people and against the worship of God. 
But what I want you to know is that the Antichrist is not so much a man as it is an office. And there have been many Antichrists who have led up to eventual Antichrist who is to come. We see this in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2, John tells us, children, it is the last hour as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. And so now, many Antichrists have come. And as we look back over human history, we've seen many who oppose the kingdom of God. Many who've waged war against God's people and many who've put themselves in the place of the worship of God. And so here, this little horn in Daniel chapter 8 is one of those shadow antichrists who's fulfilling the office of the antichrist to come. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. We know from history that Antiochus Epiphanes ruled Syria from 175 to 164 BC. And he launched a military campaign in many directions, from the south towards the east and towards the glorious land of Jerusalem. Antiochus Epiphanes waged war against God's people. And not only did he wage war against God's people, but he conquered them and he took over Jerusalem and he took over the temple and he stopped the worship of the temple. He put an end to the temple sacrifices and he forbid God's people to enter in and to worship God. Not only that, he put a statue of Zeus in the middle of the temple, but he didn't stop there. His name Antiochus Epiphanes is short for Antiochus Deus Epiphanes. He gave himself that title. It means God manifest. He claimed to be God incarnate. That makes him an antichrist. And there Antiochus Epiphanes waged war against God's people. He would not let them worship. We see this in verses 11 and 12. Look with me. And it became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him. He put an end to the worship of God's people. What do we do with a vision like that? What does it have to do with us today? Well, at the end of this vision, we see a promise. A promise in verse 25. That though this little horn would rise up against the prince of princes, he shall be broken, but by no human hand. We know the end of the story because what was in the future for Daniel is in our history. And we see how all of these prophecies were fulfilled. Look with me at Daniel 13 and 14. Then I saw the Holy One speaking. Another Holy One said to the one who spoke, for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering? In other words, how long will this last where God's people won't be able to worship? Verse 14. And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings. There's a couple ways that you can think about 2,300 evenings and mornings. One is just think maybe it's just talking about a day, a morning and a night. But I think the better reading is to understand it's not just talking about any kind of morning and evening. It's talking about the morning and evening sacrifices. How long will God's people not be able to worship in the temple? for 2,300 evening and morning sacrifices. And while Antiochus Epiphanes was waging war against God's people, God raised up a family. 
the Maccabees, a father and his five sons, and they fought back. And they fought back to the point that on December the 25th, 165 BC, 2300 morning and evening sacrifices later, they got the temple back. They restored it. They cleansed it. They took down the statue of Zeus and they put back the golden lampstand and they rededicated the temple. And to this day, the Jewish people have been commemorating and celebrating God's deliverance of his people through the Maccabean revolt. Remembering that even in their darkest hour when they could not worship, God sent the Maccabees and God worked to restore his people and to bring back their worship. That feast will be celebrated this coming Sunday. It's called the Feast of Dedication. You and I know it by another name. It's called Hanukkah. Now why do I tell you that? And what does it have to do for us as Christians? Well you see it's during Hanukkah or the Feast of Dedication that the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus Christ said these words. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, for no one will snatch them out of my hand. Why? Why does John go out of his way to tell us that Jesus said these words, that no one will snatch his sheep from his hand during Hanukkah? Why? Because as we look back all over human history, we see that the shepherd is there. That even in their darkest hour, he never let his sheep go. That as we look back and we see the evils of man, we see that God intended those evils for good. That even as we look back at the greatest warlord, we see that he's weak compared to the kingdom of God that we would see that even in our darkest valley, there is a shepherd, a shepherd who is calling out to his sheep and his sheep know his voice and he will never let anyone or anything snatch them out of his hand. God gave us the prophecy of Daniel so that we would see God's shepherding hand at work to look back on the history of Daniel and see that God was faithful. To look now at the prophecy that God gave Daniel that for him was in the future, for us we can look back and see how every detail was fulfilled because the shepherd's hand was leading his people. And we now can look back at the good shepherd who God sent into the valley of the shadow of death to rise again after dying on the cross for you and me so that all who trust in his name will be saved. So that one day we can trust that the shepherd will come to lead us out of the valley once and for all. But until that day comes, we have a shepherd. A shepherd who's been holding the hand of his people throughout all of history. A shepherd that even in their darkest moments, he'd never let them go. We have a shepherd and the sheep know his voice. Do you hear him?
in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of all of the competing voices around us, do you hear the voice of the shepherd? Do you hear him calling after you saying, come, follow me, take my hand. Will you take the hand of the shepherd? Because he's the hand of a shepherd king. And though he is gentle and lowly, his hand is strong. And there is nothing, nothing that can get in the way of his sovereign hand. He will never let us go. Let me pray. Father in heaven, as we sing this final song, may its words be true of us. And when these words are hard for us to sing truthfully and honestly, would you meet us in those moments and may we hear the voice of our good shepherd. Help us by your Holy Spirit now to grab your hand, let your hand hold us, and that you would hold us to the end. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.